Hello and welcome to B-Side, where we revisit business world stories and tell a few of our own. The people who are supposed to be taking care of us are falling sick and dying from COVID-19. In this episode, I, Sam El Marcelo, an associate editor at Business World, talk to Anne Adora, a good friend of mine who also happens to be a doctor. The most important message in our conversation is something you've probably heard a million times, but it must be said again because it really is the best way to stop the spread of the virus. Practice social distancing. Better yet, stay at home. Okay, I am with Anna Adora, a cardiologist, a vegan, a triathlete, a friend, who is on the ground and seeing firsthand the toll that COVID-19 is taking on the medical field. Anna, thanks for joining me despite how chaotic your life is and has been. Is that introduction enough for you or do you want to introduce yourself? No, that's fine. Thanks for having me, Sam. First things first, could you just set the scene for us? What is it like in your hospital now? You are with National Kidney and Transplant Institute, correct? Yes, I work as a cardiologist at National Kidney and Transplant Institute and Philippine Heart Center. They are both government hospitals. However, they cater to different types of patients. So, of course, they have different hospital experiences. For Heart Center, we were in the news two weeks ago because we had one of the first cases of COVID in the Philippines. And because it was early on in the game, it was way before quarantine started. A lot of healthcare workers were exposed unknowingly. So we had a lot of nurses and doctors that were patients under investigation. And we actually had a lot of doctors who have had COVID. And some of them are admitted until now. Two of them passed away. So because of that, Heart Center had to restrict the procedures. The cath lab was was shut down temporarily. And patients with minor illnesses and patients in stable condition were, were declined. And for National Kidney and Transplant Institute, since we have a lot of cancer patients who are immunocompromised and we also have transplant patients who are, are taking immunosuppressants in the hospital, we can't admit COVID patients in the hospital because we have to protect our vulnerable patients. So we had to put up a tent complex outside of the emergency room. Everything happened so quickly. In the country, we had our first case, a Chinese national in January. We had the first local transmission March 7th, and the quarantine happened a week after. So there wasn't really much time to prepare. So as I mentioned earlier at NKTI, we put up a tent complex there. We hold a triage there. Persons under investigation stay there, especially if they undergo dialysis. We actually have a tent with dialysis machines inside, and this is separate from the dialysis center within the hospital. And for Heart Center, they had to shut down the cath lab. Could you explain to us what that is? The cath lab of Heart Center is where we perform a lot of life-saving procedures. You can have an angiogram there where they take a look at the coronary or blood supply to your heart. You can have an angioplasty there where they can put a small metal mesh tube to open up a blocked artery of your heart. And if you have congenital heart disease, you can have interventions done there as well. Because a lot of invasive procedures are done there, it it increases the risk of exposure to COVID. And because a lot of healthcare workers were affected, they had to temporarily shut down the cath lab. So of course, this affected patients without COVID because if you needed to have an emergency 
procedure done, you couldn't have it done in heart center. And the lab is still shut down till now? The cath lab was opened up a few days ago, but only for emergency procedures. And we had to modify the guidelines for a heart attack. Usually if you have a massive heart attack, what we call ST elevation myocardial infarction, you would immediately be brought to the cath lab and an angioplasty would be done. But because of COVID and we want to protect the patients and also the healthcare workers, we would opt to give now thrombolysis or an intravenous medication that would dissolve the blood clot in the vessel. We would opt to give that first instead of do the angioplasty. So that's one of the guidelines that has been modified because of COVID. Could you talk a little bit about your experience as a doctor? I mean, I know that several of your friends and colleagues have succumbed to the disease. My condolences. So what is morale like right now among the doctors and among the nurses, among all healthcare workers? The morale was low during the first few weeks because we're used to seeing a lot of patients, but we're not used to seeing a lot of patients who are our friends and colleagues and mentors. And that was really hard. I personally lost a mentor And during that time, my husband was exposed to a COVID-positive patient. So he had to self-quarantine. We were separated from each other. And when I lost my mentor, I couldn't even get a hug from my loved ones. That was really hard. Okay, so just to cut in, your husband, Joy, is also a doctor. Yeah, he's also a doctor. He's a surgeon at St. Luke's. They have their hands full at St. Luke's. A lot of private hospitals in Metro Manila, honestly, are full. And this is because they admitted majority of the first cases in the country. This goes to show how there is a socioeconomic aspect to the transmission of the disease. Of course, the imported cases are those who could afford to travel, hence their admission to private hospitals. So when we say Imported case, it's somebody who has traveled to a country that's been affected by the virus and travels back to a country that hasn't been affected by the virus. And then the next stage of transmission is local transmission. So local transmission happened here on March 7th from husband to wife. So this is when somebody with travel history comes in contact or infects somebody in their household or in their workplace. And the next stage of transmission is community transmission. So this is when a patient is not exposed to somebody who has had travel history. You're not really sure where he or she got it from. And this is why we're undergoing the community quarantine to decrease our rates of community transmission. It's been a couple of weeks already. From what you're seeing, are things getting worse or is this thing just starting? Are we at the beginning? Yes, this is just the beginning. I really commend DOH for recommending a quarantine even before we hit 100 cases. And I hope that we see the payoff of this recommendation in the next few weeks. But we will definitely see more cases first before we see a plateau. Um, So the initial date of the end of quarantine of April 14, that might be extended if we look at the trends right now. What is it like to have... COVID-19? And why is it so deadly? Because I read somewhere where it's like some people 
hardly exhibit any symptoms. And then there are some people who basically look like they're drowning in their own blood and fluids, which to me sounds really horrible. Yeah, so it's true that COVID-19, it has a wide spectrum of symptomatology. So you can have people who are asymptomatic, so they don't feel anything, but they have COVID-19. And these are the people who might be going around and infecting other people if there wasn't an enhanced community quarantine. You could have mild symptoms. And at the end of the spectrum, you can have severe symptoms requiring you to be admitted in an intensive care unit. It's not as deadly as Ebola, but if you belong to a vulnerable population, you might be susceptible to developing those severe symptoms. So what is that vulnerable population? These are people who have chronic disease, hypertension, diabetes, people who have autoimmune diseases, people who are on immunosuppressants, so they have a lower immunity, people who are older than 60. So what are the symptoms? So based on what we've seen here and based on the initial studies that are coming out from China, the most common symptoms are fever, cough, and shortness of breath. Some other symptoms that have been mentioned are diarrhea and also loss of smell and loss of taste. The virus actually goes into your lungs and attacks a type of cell that produces material that is needed for gas exchange. So it goes into your alveoli, that's where the gas exchange takes place so that we can uptake oxygen. The virus attacks these cells, the type 2 pneumocytes, and uses the cell's mechanism to reproduce its own material. So the cell gets destroyed, gas exchange is hampered, and our body mounts an inflammatory response. The inflammatory response could actually worsen the gas exchange that's going on. And then it can also mount a systemic reaction. So that's where the fever sets in. And because you have reduced gas exchange, you can have lower levels of oxygen in your blood. That's what we call hypoxemia. And then you have cough because, of course, you're trying to get rid of all of that cellular debris. So those are the symptoms of COVID-19, and that's basically the layman's explanation to why we develop those symptoms. Okay, so of all the symptoms that enumerated, at what point should I go to a hospital? You should definitely go to a hospital if you have fever, cough, difficulty of breathing, and easy fatigability, especially if you are older than 60, or even if you're not 60 yet, but if you have a stable comorbid illness like hypertension, diabetes, chronic kidney disease, any chronic disease. How would you know if you have easy fatigability if you can't perform activities that you usually do? Let's say you can't even walk to the bathroom without developing shortness of breath. Or you could also count the number of breaths that you have to take when you're at rest. So if you need to breathe more than 20 times for every minute, even when you're at rest, then that's considered an increased rate of breathing or tachypnea. Also, if your heart rate is increased more than 100 beats per minute, even at rest. And if you do have the luxury of having a pulse oximeter at home, if your oxygen saturation drops down to less than 93%, then you should definitely go to a hospital. 
if you don't have a pulse oximeter but you have a smartphone there are apps that you can use to determine your oxygen saturation if you don't have difficulty of breathing or easy fatigability if you have mild fever or just a dry cough but you are still able to move around and do your normal activities you might still have COVID, but a mild form. So it's really important that you self-quarantine. So self-quarantine means that you should separate yourself from your family. Even if you live in the same house, you should have a separate bathroom, separate room, separate utensils for 14 days. This is based on the interim guidelines of PISMID, PSMID, or Philippine Society for Microbiology and Infectious Diseases, and anyone can download this online, and they update it regularly. So you work within two government hospitals. Have you felt the government support? Are you getting what you need to deal with this? Do you feel that DOH or the national government has your back? I'm not part of the administration of NKTI or Heart Center, so this is just based on my experience. DOH has been really proactive in handling this situation. They were the ones who recommended to the national government to have a community quarantine even before we had a lot of cases. And they've really been, you know, consulting a lot of experts and making sure that our testing labs are of standard. But as for the national government, it's a situation that could definitely be improved. We're still asking donations from the private sector. We're even contributing from our own money for the equipment that we need, our PPEs, masks, stuff that we need for the tents, for the patients or the COVID centers or triages that we put up. And aside from that, support to the communities that are in need would be really helpful because if we don't support those underprivileged communities, they would be forced to not follow social distancing. And this would lead to the spread of the virus and overwhelming the health systems. So yeah, it's a situation that could definitely be improved. All right. So how can ordinary citizens help? The most helpful thing that citizens can do is physical distancing or social distancing. Um, and that's the reason why I don't like to be called a frontliner. And it's because everyone is a frontliner. Everyone that is staying at home is a frontliner. You have to understand that this is a novel virus. So novel coronavirus, this is a new virus. Nobody has antibodies against this yet. Well, of course, now that the infected people that recovered, they have antibodies. But when this started, nobody had antibodies against this or immunity against this virus. And there's no vaccine for this. So the most impactful thing that we could do is to reduce the spread. And that's what social distancing or physical distancing is for. So that's really important. I know there's a joke that's going around that you're, you know, just sitting on the couch, but you're saving people's lives, but it is true. And going back to what you said earlier, you can be asymptomatic, meaning you don't feel anything at all. So the incubation period for this vaccine is an average of five days, but it could extend up to 14 days. So if you don't practice physical distancing and you don't feel anything at all, but you have the virus, you could be spreading that to possibly thousands of people. So if you look at 
cases in South Korea or Chicago, and they've done contact tracing. They can trace hundreds or thousands of cases just to one person. And again, just to drive my point home, this isn't just the flu. I know people at the start have compared this to being just like the flu, but there is a vaccine for the flu. And also the flu has been going around for years. So a lot of people have immunity or antibodies against the flu. So let's say you have a coworker that comes in, even if he's sick and he has the flu, if you've had a vaccine for that particular strain, or if you've had that strain that he's had before, then you won't get infected. So the spread won't be as exponential as what we're having now with the novel coronavirus. This is what people call the R-naught, right? So how much damage can one person do? Yeah, the R-naught is an epidemiology term, and it means the basic reproduction number. Basically, it describes the maximum epidemic potential of a pathogen. So what would happen if somebody with a certain virus were to enter a fully susceptible community? And that's based on the assumption that these people are not under quarantine. So the r naught of SARS-CoV-2, which causes COVID-19, is said to be around 2.5. So from 2 to 3, some say 3.5. Um, let's compare it to the r naught of the seasonal flu. So that would be around 1.3 on average. So that means that one person with the flu can infect one other person, one or maybe two. But SARS-CoV-2 one person can infect around two to three. So it doesn't sound like a big number, but if you think about it, if in seasonal flu, you're basically replacing somebody with that disease. So I get sick, I infect one other person, and then she infects another person. So the rise isn't exponential. Plus there's a vaccine, like I mentioned before, and I mean, it's been around for a while, so sometimes it doesn't spread because people already have antibodies against it. But for SARS-CoV-2, one person can infect three people, and then those three people can infect two or three other people. So at the end of the month, it could lead to a thousand. There are also cases wherein an infected person went to a mass gathering so the most common would be places of worship or social gatherings. And there are cases wherein not only two or three people were infected, but tens, hundreds, and that led to thousands or that led to spread of the disease to a new location. Okay, so in your opinion, how long before things go back to normal? Given that there's no vaccine for this, given that it spreads really quickly, you said a while ago that like mid-April was, was highly optimistic. In your opinion, Anna, if I were to put you on the spot, when will I be able to go out again, sit in a restaurant with a friend without being scared? That can only happen if we develop the vaccine. Vaccines usually take years to be released, but since this is a pandemic, they are expediting the process. But even if they expedite the process, we're still talking about 2021 or if there's a miracle, late 2020, because they not only have to make sure that it's effective, but they have to make sure that the vaccine is safe. From now until the vaccine is developed, 
if we relax the community quarantine while the healthcare system is still overwhelmed and we haven't figured out a standard treatment for this disease, then we could go back to zero. If you look at China's data, they have reduced the amount of cases or the spread of the virus domestically, but they have new cases and these are from people who are going back to China or entering mainland China again or imported cases. Hence, without the vaccine, there's always a possibility of developing new cases or a new rise or surge of cases again. The deadline of the enhanced community quarantine that was initially set for April 15, it would definitely be better if we extended it past that. But from that point until the vaccine is released, we have to figure out a way to relax the quarantine or implement physical distancing without much toll to the economy. However, to paraphrase something that Bill Gates recently said in an interview, we know how to bring a business or economy back to life, but we don't know how to bring a person back to life. And I think on that, we are going to end this conversation. (laughs) That's a very sobering thought. And that concludes another episode of B-Side. Once again, you heard me, Sam El Marcelo, an associate editor at Business World, talking with Dr. Anna Adora. Please, stay at home. This episode was recorded on April 2 in our respective homes where we are sheltering in place. Thanks for listening. Keep safe and keep sane.